This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. And welcome to the WrestleMania 35 Instant Reaction Podcast on the Evan Roberts Podcast. I surprisingly have a lot of energy. WrestleMania 35 ended at about 12.20, 12.25 a.m. None of us should be surprised. We knew this. We knew it was going to be a very long night. What was interesting is how this night ended. Now, last year, I think it was my first ever Instant Reaction podcast, the close of WrestleMania 34, Brock Lesnar defeating Roman Reigns, was a shock. We were all stunned. This conclusion was the right conclusion. We featured the right main event. We've been saying that for a while, that they actually did get it right with Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, and Charlotte Flair main eventing WrestleMania 35. This was not trying to force the women this was organically the most appealing storyline and the true main event of wrestlemania 35 and we got the ending that we needed as far as becky lynch winning both the raw and smackdown women's championships and she defeated ronda rousey which surprised me during our prediction podcast i figured they would keep ronda strong and it would be charlotte flair submitting or taking the pin so that part They got right, and that part we expected. Here's the part that leaves me, I guess, kind of empty at the close of WrestleMania 35. And that is the fact that that was a weird BS pin. I mean, WrestleMania is supposed to end with zero doubt. It's not supposed to end with a, wait a second, was her shoulder up? It also came completely out of nowhere. So Ronda is trying to do the Piper's pit move, as they call it. Becky reverses it, or sort of, and gets a quick one, two, three that literally just came out of nowhere. And you know what this reminded me of? When Roman Reigns defeated Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, there needed to be an obvious conclusion. You needed Brock Lesnar to be defeated one, two, three. And by the way, we'll get to Brock Lesnar. We'll get to the rest of these matches. God knows how long this podcast is going to go, but I promise you it will not be as long as WrestleMania. And remember the ending of SummerSlam? It didn't feel like it was conclusive enough. Reigns did defeat Lesnar, but it seemed like an odd ending. That's how WrestleMania 35 ended. It ended with, sure, Becky won. They got it right. She beat Rousey great. But the pinfall was bizarre. And I understand why they didn't want to have Ronda tap out. And I honestly don't have an issue with it. Because hopefully Ronda Rousey's not leaving. You know, if she wants to start a family, God bless her. But if she's leaving to just not wrestle, she'll be missed. I think she had a great year. I think she was booked for the most part really well. 
I thought she came into her character and got better and better as the year went on. I think she's much better as a heel. I kind of thought that from the beginning, that she was going to be better as a heel, and it'd be great if she could continue. So if they wanted to keep her strong, that's fine. So if they wanted to have Charlotte tap out or Charlotte pin, I'd understand it. Because down the road, you can get another big run the match and sell it on, hey, she never lost. But this was weird. Because this is the end of WrestleMania. And the end of WrestleMania, you would think, needs a, a, a conclusion. It needs an ending. And for the most part, this one didn't have it. You know, I think back to all the 35 WrestleManias we had, and for the most part, there's an ending. There's a conclusion. There is a clear winner. You know, I remember The Miz and John Cena at 27 kind of had that weird, they called it a double DQ, and then The Rock came out, screwed John Cena. That was different because it was leading somewhere. I mean, obviously, this will probably lead to another Charlotte-Becky Lynch feud since Charlotte didn't get pinned or tapped out. But as far as the aspect of Ronda taking the one, two, three, and it not being this really conclusive one, two, three, I, I don't know. I guess they can continue it. But WrestleMania is supposed to be, for the most part, the end. And this was the ending. Becky Lynch winning the two titles. Becky Lynch the man. Becky Lynch the star. This is what the people wanted. And yeah, she won, but I don't know. It just felt blah at the end. Now, I thought their match was good. Here's the problem, and we all knew this was coming. No matter how you book these matches, as far as the order is concerned, and I thought order-wise they actually did a really good job, they let you, because of this order, kind of be excited for the main event. They put the other matches that could take the attention away from the main event much earlier in the night. So, and I tweeted about this earlier that, they basically took all the matches you really care about outside of the main event and got it over before 10 o'clock. Because one of the big issues you could have, and we saw this at WrestleMania 18, the crowd was so invested in the Rock Hulk Hogan that by the time you got the Triple H Chris Jericho, which I think was two, manage, two matches later, the crowd was dead. Now, the crowd was dead for this main event, but I think the crowd was dead because they were tired. If you went to WrestleMania... And unless you showed up right at 7 o'clock, that's still five hours. If you showed up at 5 o'clock, which was when the pre-show started, you were there for seven hours. So unless everybody in that building is you know, just pummeling five-hour energies, you can't be surprised that the crowd was dead for the main event. And also these stadiums, the, the, the sound isn't as good, obviously, as a small arena. So it took a little bit away from the main event because I thought it was a good match. They had some good bumps. I thought the triple threat aspect of it was perfect in this case because this was the storyline. This was not one of those triple threat matches where they wrote somebody in. This wasn't Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio at 22, I think it was. 22, WrestleMania 22. It wasn't that. It was a legitimate triple threat feud. And they put together a really good match. But... The two critiques, A, the crowd was dead, not a surprise, and B, we needed a better conclusion. And it didn't have to be a tap out. I think Ronda getting pinned is better than her tapping out, so I'm good with that. But I don't know, just didn't feel like we had the, the proper conclusion. All right, let's go through this card because there were a ton of matches. 
let's get to the open because <laughs> I mean, you want to open with Hulk Hogan. You want to open with what's her name? Alexa Bliss, who for some reason is the host of this thing. Do we really need to host a WrestleMania? We had the New Day as a host. We had The Rock as a host. We had Hulk Hogan as a host at WrestleMania 30. We don't need a freaking host of WrestleMania. Okay, we just need WrestleMania. In fact, the host aspect probably takes up too much time. Focus on the matches. It's already a long enough night. So we open WrestleMania with Alexa Bliss bringing out Hulk Hogan. And I was a big Hulk Hogan fan back in the day. I think we all were. The problem with Hulk Hogan right now in 2019, it's not all the sex tape. It's not all the racist stuff. That's all a part of it, I'm sure. But the other part of it is he doesn't offer anything. He's an old man who says the same crap. What you gonna do when WrestleMania runs wild on you? We don't need it. And what we also don't need is Hulk Hogan effing up the name of the place he's in. And I thought for a good five minutes he did that on purpose. You know, when he said, hey, we're at the Silverdome, obviously he's making fun of himself from that embarrassment at 30 where he screwed up the name. But then he calls it MetLife Center. So I thought, ah, he's being funny again. But I don't think he was. It took me a few minutes to realize. Maybe it wasn't as long as five minutes. Maybe it was two minutes to realize, oh, my God, he screwed it up again. The problem is he's a waste. And I mean that with, of course, peace and love. Because Hulk Hogan is one of the greats of all time. But at this point, he's just not offering anything. He's coming out there and saying the same crap. And he's really, really, really old. And every time I look at him, ah, forget it. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. But here is what saved the Hulk Hogan opening, and that was Paul Heyman. And I actually was a big fan of this show opening up with Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, because I think the WWE's got to try a lot of things. As long as WrestleManias are going to be five or six hours long or seven hours long, they've got to try different ways to map out their show. And even though it ultimately didn't work because the main event crowd was dead, I like the fact that they really opened over the first two, three hours of this show with some of their quote-unquote prime matches. So you want to start off hot. They did with Heyman coming out because Heyman comes out and you're thinking, what the hell's going on right now? What's happening? So at first when he said, hey, if Brock Lesnar isn't main eventing, then we're getting this out of the way now. I don't know why. Maybe I was still in the joy of the Brooklyn Nets clinching a playoff spot, which I'm sure I'll sprinkle in throughout this podcast. But I thought Paul Heyman was like demanding that Brock Lesnar be in the main event. That's what I thought it was going for a second, which would have been awkward because they announced publicly the main event is the women. It got attention that the main event is the women. There's no way they're going to back out of that now. So instead, they, they give us the match right out of the gate, which I liked. I thought it was good, and I thought it was exactly what we needed, what we wanted, and what had to happen in this Brock Lesnar-Seth Rollins match. It was perfect. You had Brock destroying him before the bell, then you had the bell ring, and then you had the match turning on a Seth Rollins low blow, which seems like every Lesnar match turns that way. Everybody wants to attack Brock Lesnar's balls for some reason. Turns the match that way, gets in one, two, three curb stomps, and Seth Rollins in the middle of the ring pins 
Brock Lesnar. This is what needed to happen. See, we're talking about the Becky Lynch ending. There wasn't that obvious conclusion. Sure, Becky pinned Ronda, but it wasn't clear-cut. This was clear-cut. And it had to happen. This is what should have happened a year ago if they wanted to make Roman Reigns their guy. They didn't do it. Even at SummerSlam, it wasn't as decisive as this. This was decisive. This was perfect. And now Brock Lesnar can go away. And if Brock's going to come back every once in a while, that's fine. He just can't be in the title picture. They ran with this part-time champion as long as they could have gone, and it's over. And now let's see Seth Rollins as the face universal champion. I think there's a lot of options of what they can do. And we'll get into it, I'm sure, in a future podcast. But I love it. I thought it was perfect. There was nothing about this match I disliked. I can't say it's the match of the night because match of the night means it was the, the, the best and it was the most exciting. This was quick. It was a quick match. I think officially it was only two minutes. It was obviously longer than that because they didn't ring the bell until after Brock beat him up. But I thought it was exactly what we needed. We needed a decisive Seth Rollins victory, and we got that even if it was just to open the show. But I like the fact that they did it to the open the show. They got to try something different because these shows are so long. The AJ-Randy Orton match. I predicted Orton was going to get the win. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was a very solid match, just a very good wrestling match. Orton tried to do, I think it was an RKO off the top rope. He failed, but good match. Nice victory for AJ. I don't know where they go now with AJ Styles. I think he's re-signed, which is great. He's one of the best superstars that they have. I, I was actually hoping before the Brian Hill turn that AJ was going to take that WWE Championship all the way to WrestleMania. Obviously, that didn't happen. I just wonder now if there's anything left for AJ on SmackDown. He beat Orton. He's obviously been champion. He had that long feud with Daniel Bryan. He had a long feud with Samoa Joe. It's probably best that when they shake these rosters up that the man who runs SmackDown <laughs> actually has to leave SmackDown. Lacey Evans made another random appearance, and I'm kind of getting sick of her. Either get in the ring, either do something, or get go away. Now, I understand you want to have a slow build to a debut. Has she even debuted? Am I missing something? Because I, I tried to watch the pre-show. The, the way I watched the pre-show was this. The Nets are playing Indiana. They're in a win-and-get-in situation. So I had the Nets as my main focus. But I did have the pre-show, pre-show on. And what I noticed about the pre-show was this. I noticed that the pre-show existed so that people from New York, Long Island, and Staten Island, or whatever, can get victories. That's why it existed. Tony Nese wins the Cruiserweight title, local guy. Carmella wins the Women's Battle Royal, Staten Island, local girl. Hawkins and Ryder, what a joke that is, win the Raw Tag Team title over the Revival, local guys. Other than Braun Strowman winning which he had to win, that stupid Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal and the whole gimmick that they had with the SNL clowns. Uh, It was all about local people winning. I mean, is that what the pre-show's for? The pre-show's to make the, uh, the local competitors look good? And I'm sorry, you could like Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder all day. It has nothing to do with them. It's the fact that they're just going to lose on Monday Night Raw. They're going to lose two weeks later. They tried this crap with Zack Ryder a few years ago when he won the IC title. I thought it was stupid then, too, because you knew where it was going. And by the way, the crowd hated 
that SNL angle. They, they really did. And I feel bad for Andre the Giant. You know, they have this Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Here's how bad the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal is. When Baron Corbin was wrestling later in the night and they listed his resume that included winning the Golden Gloves, they never mentioned that he won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Didn't he win one? Or am I remembering, remembering that wrong? Because if he did, and they don't mention that in his resume, that's how little the WWE actually cares about it. The most entertaining part of the Battle Royal was that Braun Strowman, who's a big, strong guy, though it does look like he's lost some weight, had trouble picking up the trophy because the trophy's so big. Anyhow, back to the regular show. The tag team match for the SmackDown titles was highlighted by, and I actually thought this was cool, Cesaro doing that swing on Ricochet for what felt like 15 minutes. And Ricochet is awesome. But I, I look at him, and I know that what the WWE does with really incredible talents who are cruiserweights, or basically cruiserweights, like Neville, is they, they waste them. They're great talent. They go nowhere. I hope I'm wrong, but that was, uh, that was a fun match. That wasn't a bad match, the SmackDown Tag Team title match, with the Usos retaining. Shane McMahon against The Miz. Uh, the, the problem I have with this whole thing is I just don't want to watch Shane McMahon wrestle. I know he does a stunt every year. He does a crazy move, and he did one again, which actually was the ending, and it involved The Miz. I mean, The Miz took the bump, too, when he suplexed him off the light tangent, and then Shane basically had his arm over him for the victory. The best part of the match was Corey Graves. Because after that ending, Corey Graves is screaming, it's a WrestleMania miracle, because Shane got the victory. I, I, The match was okay. The problem is I don't like the storyline. I don't like Shane McMahon wrestling. I don't like Shane McMahon getting a win. I don't like The Miz as a face. I like The Miz. He's just not a face. Does anybody look at The Miz and say I want to cheer for him? And I don't mean that as a dick move. I'm saying it's a compliment. He's a heel. So where do they go from here? Shane going to be a full-time wrestler since he's claiming he's the best in the world? And all that does is make people actually think CM Punk's going to come back. Yeah, CM Punk's going to come back, and his big return is going to be fighting Shane McMahon. What a waste of time that's going to be. I shouldn't have been surprised, but I guess I was for the Iconics winning the women's tag team title. I got to tell you, I think the women's tag team title division is going to struggle because while the Iconics are a tag team, none of the others were. You know, Natalia's been there for a long time. She's teaming up with a quote-unquote legend in Beth Phoenix, who I doubt is returning full-time. Sasha and Bailey should be singles competitors, and Nia Jack should be a singles competitor. So I just don't know where the tag teams are coming from. I understand why they created the belts. Let's see what happens from here. But who are the Iconics going to feud with? Who are going to be the good women tag teams? Because Bailey and Sasha is better than that. They should be in the main event picture, the women's main event picture. I think they will be. I think they will be. Same thing with Nia and Tamina. I mean, who cares about her? So, that was an alright match. You know, I don't really care. I didn't go to pee during the match, so I guess that's a compliment. I tried to pee during the long breaks because they play commercials. They come back, they play a commercial for God knows what, for a movie. 
Then they have a commercial for uh, Money in the Bank, which they moved up to May, which I don't really know how I feel about that. I'm still digesting it. That's when I usually try to get to my pee breaks. Then they whip out the WWE Championship match. Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan. And I loved it. It was great. It really was. And I was not as big of a believer in giving Kofi the WWE title as much as everybody else. But I got into it. It worked. It makes sense. I'm not sure where they go from here with it. And I think that's always going to be key. You can give Kofi the emotional victory of winning the WWE Championship. And good for him. Because he, he's always been a good wrestler. He's always been a solid personality. So why the hell not? Yeah, why not? I guess why I hesitated was how quickly it came out of nowhere. You know, I know he's been there for 11 years, but this push really didn't start until a week before the Elimination Chamber. It's not like this was building for a while. You know, people were trying to compare this to the Daniel Bryan thing. Yeah, the comparison is the terms they were using. The comparison was you're a B-plus player, the authority basically holding you down. All that stuff, fair, fair comparison. But the difference is the Daniel Bryan build started long before, two months before WrestleMania. So because of that, it felt more organic, that, that push that Bryan got. And to this day, we don't even know for sure if he was really going to be in the main event or if that was a push by the people. I think the WWE did this. You know what I mean? I think when they gave Kofi the great match before Elimination Chamber and then he's in the Elimination Chamber and the push he got during that match without winning and obviously everything they did after that, I think they planned it. I don't think it was as organic as the Daniel Bryan thing. I think they knew we really don't have an opponent for Daniel Bryan. There was nothing obvious. We had mentioned that for a while. You know, Kofi's a good wrestler. They'll put together a good match. The people like him. And so I think they manipulated the fans more than the fans dictated it. But I'm, but I'm still happy for Kofi Kingston. Guy's a hell of a performer. And I love this match. I loved it. I love the fact that it gave you a little bit of two things. It gave you the old technical wrestling early, Daniel Bryan working on body parts. And then it gave you all the false finishes, all the questions of, I think Bryan's going to win. Oh, wait a second. I think Kofi's going to win. Wait a second. I thought it was great. And they gave you 24 minutes, so they gave you a lot of time. And then when it ended and Kofi won the title, you know, they treated it like it was closing the show. They had the fireworks. They had the kids in the ring. The bringing back the old belt part was cool. It was very well done. I'm not mad. You know what I mean? Even though I had said a few months ago, I don't want to do it yet. If you want to make Kofi champion, you got to give it more of a build. I, yes, I would have preferred it have a longer build. If they knew, see, here's the only thing. It's a small thing. The only thing that would have really got me on board more is if they had started this two months earlier. That's all. That's all I ask for. I like the slow build. I like a lot of foreplay. What can I tell you? That's it. But, hey, they got the foreplay in real quick. Kingston is the WWE champion. I think it is going to be intriguing to see where they go from here. I forget which podcast I said this on. Maybe it was after Elimination Chamber. I said, boy, they should give Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio a match at Mania and give them a lot of time. <laughs> oh, they gave them time. They gave them one big fat minute. And I can't complain because the whole show was five hours. So how could I legitimately complain that they, that they made that a squash match?
The only way I can complain, and I, I know I'm going in order, but let me skip ahead because it fits best to say this. The only thing I could complain about is Triple H Batista. Because I, I'm a fan of Batista. I think Batista's a Hall of Famer. I think he was one of the more underrated performers at his time. I thought him and The Undertaker had a great feud for a whole year. They fought at WrestleMania. They fought a few other times after that. I like Batista. Okay? And I didn't think Triple H Batista was a bad match. I didn't. And I think both guys did a hell of a job considering their age. Because you got to keep this in perspective. When we used to say Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair were old, they were younger than what these guys are. Today, Batista and Triple H. So they were old guys. But this match didn't need to be the longest match of the night. And folks, it was the longest match of the night. I can't believe that Triple H did it again. This is, you ready for this? Because I look this up. You think I'm screwing around with you when I say this. These are facts. You can fact check what I'm about to say. Triple H has had the longest match at WrestleMania every year but one since WrestleMania 27. You think I'm screwing around? Let's do it. Let's go through this. At WrestleMania 27, he fought The Undertaker. 29 minutes, 23 seconds, longest match of the night. At 28, he fought The Undertaker again, 30 minutes and 50 seconds, longest match of the night. At 29, he fought Brock Lesnar, 23 minutes, 58 seconds, tied for the longest match of the night. At 30, his opening match with Daniel Bryan, 25 minutes, 58 seconds, the longest freaking match of the night. This one's my favorite, though. 31, he fights Sting in that schmoz, 18 minutes, 36 seconds. That was the longest match of the night. At WrestleMania 32, when he was actually in the main event against Roman Reigns, and that thing ended God knows what time, that wasn't the longest match of the night. The time he was in the main event, it was 27 minutes and 11 seconds, was not the longest match of the night. I'm not sure which one was. Wasn't that. His match against Rollins, 25 minutes, 30 seconds, longest match of the night. His tag match last year with Stephanie against Ronda and Angle, 20 minutes, 40 seconds. Longest match tonight. And tonight against Batista, or last night, or whatever night you're listening, longest match of the night, 24 minutes and 50 seconds. Are you freaking kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? Triple H Batista, the longest match of the night? What? You could have done all the stuff that they did in 15 minutes. And there was good stuff. I liked Batista taking a few bumps on the table. I liked a lot of the false finishes when Triple H power-bombed Batista through the steel chairs and then pedigreed him, or the steel, uh, whatever that thing is. And it was not a, a, a one, two, three. That was great. And the ending was fine. Ric Flair comes out, gives him the sledgehammer. He beats Batista. We knew he was going to win. He's Triple H. Of course he was going to win. I didn't like him pulling out Batista's nose ring. Do we need that? What the hell is that about? The match was okay, and they did a hell of a job considering their ages, and they did a hell of a job considering Batista never wrestles, and Triple H only wrestles once a year. They really did do a hell of a job. 25 minutes is a joke. It's a freaking joke. So, you make that a 15-minute match, either you could take 15 minutes off the show, or you can give it to one of these other matches. Like Samoa Joe, Rey Mysterio, that lasted one match, one minute. 
So that's my take on Triple H Batista. You like those facts? Those are real facts. Eight of the last nine WrestleManias, Triple H has had the longest match. I know he doesn't win all his matches at WrestleMania. He actually has a losing record. But you talk about making yourself the show? I mean, stop it. You're fighting another 50-year-old, and you got to go 25 minutes? No. No. No gracias. But he did it. He did it. Triple H did it. And I think I jokingly said, you think he'll have the longest match of the night. I didn't actually think he was going to have the longest match of the night. Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, who gives a damn? I'm sorry. I'm so happy Roman Reigns is back. I really am. I thought his interview with Francesca was fascinating. Guy comes across like a good dude. Couldn't give two craps about that match. We knew Roman Reigns was going to win. We knew Drew McIntyre was going to say a bunch of disrespectful crap. And we knew Roman was going to get the win. What do they do with Roman Reigns and how quickly before the crowd turns on him? Hmm. Really, it's going to come down to who they feud him with. If they decide, you know what, let's put Rollins and Roman together and let's have a slow either face-versus-face turn at SummerSlam or maybe one of them turns heel, preferably Roman Reigns, either way, Roman's going to get booed eventually. That's my prediction, but it really is good to have him back. Then we got to the Elias performance. And I, I got to admit, I, Thugonomics John Cena was awesome. So the fact that our reward for Elias performing, and it was sort of funny when he was performing with himself, you know, Elias the piano player, Elias the drummer, Elias the, that was all right. I was so confused, though, when the Babe Ruth, Charlie Root thing starts playing. The called shot by the Babe, that starts playing. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is happening? Because <laughs> in my head, I'm trying to figure out who's coming out. And it turned out to be Thugonomics John Cena wearing a Babe Ruth jersey because you got to get him over. And clearly, everybody at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey will cheer if it's John Cena in a Babe Ruth jersey. Uh, you know, the safest bet would have probably been Derek Jeter. Uh, I, I hate to say it because I love the Babe. The ba Babe Ruth is the one Yankee that I will actually honor in my home. The one Yankee. I will put a picture up. I actually have one of Babe Ruth in my home because Babe Ruth isn't a Yankee. Babe Ruth is baseball. That's the way I look at the Babe. He's baseball. He's not a Yankee. He's baseball. But it was just weird. I mean, all of a sudden we're, we're watching Babe Ruth call a shot against the Cubs, supposedly call a shot against the Cubs. And then Thugonomics Cena comes out and does his thing. His rap was pretty good. The thing about Thug Thugonomics Cena, he was very risque, you know? His raps would really push the envelope. He didn't do it as much as he did in 2002, but it wasn't bad. So Cena gave you that little surprise. yippity doo da. Good thing he didn't take his hat off so we could see all his hair. Now we get the Baron Corbin Kurt Angle. I mean, how many ways could they F this up? The thought was they're not really going to have Kurt Angle fight Baron Corbin. No way. Someone's going to replace him. Maybe it's John Cena. Once you saw Thugonomics Cena earlier on, you knew it wasn't going to be him. Maybe it's The Undertaker. No shot of that happening. I even suggested Taz. Taz was already on the air by the time this match was going on. So they didn't do anything. They kept it to Baron Corbin, and Baron Corbin beats him. <laughs> uh, you know, 
if you're going to have Kurt Angle lose his last match, which that's fine, doesn't it still have to be someone better than Baron Corbin? So if you're not bringing back a veteran from Kurt's past, shouldn't it be someone that you really want to give a big push to? Is Baron Corbin going to get a big push? First of all, how could a guy who doesn't even have wrestling gear get a good push? I don't see it happening. Guy, guy, guy's wrestling in a like a suit or whatever he's wearing. It, it was it was sad. I mean, you know what though? In fairness, that match represented Kurt Angle's run over the last two years. Underwhelming, disappointing, and a shame because Kurt Angle is one of the greatest wrestlers and one of the greatest performers of all time. And they bring him back to do what for the last two years? I mean, think about the two years Kurt Angle had in the WWE. He's an authority figure who just gets beat up all the time by Stephanie McMahon. His return of the ring was the most anticlimactic thing ever. Wasn't his return of the ring as a member of the Shield filling in for Roman Reigns? Or filling it? Yeah, it was for Roman Reigns. That was his return of the ring. He never had any kind of payoff match when he came back. It was all just a bunch of weird side jobs, basically. And it ends by him losing to Baron Corbin and him saying, please say you suck to me as I leave. What a shame. I was a big fan of Kurt Angle, still am. I'll remember Kurt for all the good times. I'll remember Kurt for the wrestler from the late 90s, early 2000s, and not the shell of his former self that came back. So now we're creeping towards the end, and as the second-to-last match, they give us Finn Balor against Bobby Lashley. I still am digging this order because I think they felt if we give you underwhelming stuff before the main event, you'll be so excited for the main event, you'll be really over for the main event. Finn Balor coming out as the demon is a good thing. I think they should have done more of that over the last couple of years. Uh, the match was quick. It was okay. Balor got the win. I got Corey Graves screaming and yelling that Finn Balor could only do a power bomb because he's the demon. He couldn't do that. If he didn't have the face paint on. I like Corey Graves, but that was bizarre. And Finn wins the IC title. I, I think the biggest problem with Finn winning the IC title is it takes him out of the title picture, the main event title picture, which is where I think he should be. Now, we'll see how often they bring this demon character back and what they do with Bobby Lashley from here. And then you had the main event. So all in all, it was a very long seven-hour show. All the special guest commentators. At first, I didn't like it. Then I started to like it. I started to buy into it. You had JBL, you had Shawn Michaels, you had uh, Paige, you had Booker T. I didn't think that was all that bad. I did think it was bad when, with a straight face, they announced that they have set a brand new WWE MetLife attendance record. I mean, what? That, that's what you're announcing? That you're, you've set a new WWE MetLife attendance record. You now have a crowd bigger than the last time you had WrestleMania there. The only other event at MetLife Stadium. I mean, that's a, it's almost like they're mocking themselves when they say something like that. A couple of other things. Uh, I got to see a little bit of the Hall of Fame stuff. What the hell happened with that fan and Bret Hart? Because I saw that on Twitter. They, they obviously cut that out of the WWE Network, but that was scary, scary stuff. And good job by Ronda Rousey's husband and everybody else for beating the crap out of that insane fan. And let me leave on this. 
because I think one of the themes of this podcast has not only been uh, WrestleMania as a whole, but has been bashing Triple H because I have turned heel on Triple H after he again had the longest match of the night at WrestleMania. This may be unpopular, what I'm about to say, but I really believe this, and I thought about this while watching the Hall of Fame ceremony and watching when they brought all the Hall of Famers out at WrestleMania. DX is the most overrated thing in the history of pro wrestling. The most overrated thing. First of all, when DX started in the late 90s with Shawn Michaels as a heel, they were okay. Like, that was fine. You know, Shawn Michaels was almost playing his real-life life self on TV. And that was fine. And Rick Rude was a part of it. And China was innovative. And Triple H was a great sidekick. It was great. When Shawn Michaels left and it became Triple H, the New Age Outlaws, and X-Pac, they were okay. That's how I'd phrase it. They were okay. They were not terrible. I thought their feuds with the, uh, uh, the Nation of Domination was pretty good. I liked it. They were fine. Triple H, Rock had some great matches. It was great. When DX broke up and then got back together as evil Triple H's with Stephanie, again, they were fine. They were okay. They were not the NWO. I'm sorry. They were never the NWO. They never had close to the impact of the NWO. The Attitude Era was not DX. The Attitude Era was stone freaking cold Steve Austin. Okay? That was the Attitude Era. And The Rock. Sure, The Rock. Stone Cold and The Rock. It was not DX. It was not Triple H. Sorry. And then when they brought back DX twice in the mid-2000s and they became children... They were not even the cool guys who used to try to be do risque stuff. They were shooting water guns at you. They were dropping slime on you. They sucked in the mid-2000s. What did they do when they came out? Oh, we've got these light sticks we're going to throw at you. DX was overrated. They always were overrated. And they've become even more overrated because of the fact that they headlined a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And the idea of putting factions in is weird to begin with because you're going to have three-time and four-time Hall of Famers, such as Triple H. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer as DX. Evolution goes to the Hall of Fame. Triple H himself goes into the Hall of Fame. The the, the, the two-men power crew, whatever they call themselves, goes into the Hall of Fame. The corporation goes into the Hall of Fame. The corporate ministry goes into the Hall of Fame. Before you know it, Triple H is in the Hall of Fame 19 times. But DX was very overrated. I'm sorry. I, I just laid it out very well, I think. Completely overrated. Bret Hart had to be standing there with Natalia thinking, seriously? Seriously. I'm watching these bozos get the treatment, and I'm just standing here like a schmuck, and I'm being attacked by a fan? Give me a freaking break. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed this. I didn't do a lot of nets. But I'm ecstatic, and I'm so happy that the Nets, even though they did get help by Giannis not playing, but they beat the crap out of the Indiana Pacers on Sunday night, and they've earned their way into the postseason. Uh, All I could think about was Billy King. I know I shouldn't. All I could think about was all the horrible trades Billy made, specifically the one with Boston, but even the one with the Trailblazers for Gerald Wallace, and how Sean Marks did a miraculous job miraculous building this team without any lottery picks and it's off to the playoffs we go there'll be a podcast about that coming out this week it will be a brooklyn net playoff preview podcast that's coming up 
I'm very, very excited about that. Our WFAN Producer Roundtable podcast will be dropping on Tuesday, April 16th. And so enjoy. Anyhow, I'm going to try to get an hour of sleep. Thank you very much for listening to the WrestleMania 35 Instant Reaction Podcast.